Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to another edition of Revolution Recap. This week, coming after the Revolution's one-nothing victory over first place—well, first place before the game—Sporting Kansas City. As Teal Bunbury scored a controversial goal in the 44th minute, uh, and the Revolution held on and, and kept Kansas City relatively quiet throughout the game to hold on to a one-nothing win uh, and get all three points in this game at Gillette Stadium. So, you know, big win for the Revolution over a difficult opponent. Uh, but let's start this one off by talking about the goal because I think that's what everyone will be talking about after this game. What, what did you guys think? Was that a goal? It was a, a strange one in which. Uh, he was initially called offsides. The flag went up, but they reviewed it on VAR and decided that the ball did not actually go off of a Revolution player. Um, and I believe it was off of was it Espinosa that it went off of. But yes. it, yeah, it was they, Espinosa. Yeah. So, so what did you guys think? Was that was that the right call? Was that the the, the right way to do things? It was something that I'd never seen before. Yeah, I mean, from the the way we talked about in the press box, I mean, we were all kind of like perplexed by like why why would you even you know go to VAR? But from what I understood, I think. Uh, I think what initially happened is that um, referee David Gantar actually thought, like, didn't blow the whistle, and then he saw the referee's flag go up, um, and so he initially thought it was a it was a good goal. Um, so he went to obviously there was some disagreement between him and the AR, and then he went to VAR to get some help, and VAR confirmed that it was a goal because it didn't go obviously didn't go off of uh, Fagundes. It actually was uh, poked, it was poked away by Roger Espinosa, um, which keeps which allows. Bunbury to score from that position. So um, I had never seen it. Um, I was. I, there was some kind of talk that that's a. It's a fairly recent um, uh, recent uh, revision to the interpretation of the offside rule. So you know, if that's true, then then it was the correct call. Uh, very curious call. But if that's the way that um, that uh, referees are gonna, if that's the way the law is going to be interpreted going forward, and that was you know kind of a talking point a few years ago, um, and they revised it, then. Then, then it's accurate. It still doesn't look good, but it's but according to the according to the interpretation of the law, it's a it's a good goal. Yeah, it's kind of a tough take for for Sporting KC because it happens so quickly. You know, all of a sudden, you know, he's in such an he's in an offside position. It's clear, uh, and all of a sudden, you you're you know you're defending purposely to leave him offside, and, and then all of a sudden he's in play, and that's kind of how do you react to that? You see the flag go up. And you, you know, Peter Ramirez talk, was talking after the game. You know, you have to kind of play to the whistle, kind of thing. Um, it's almost like they didn't even have time to react because he was just so clearly offsides. But I mean, that's the rule. It was played off a Sporting Casey player, so you know you can be thirty yards offsides as far as I think the rule is concerned, as long as someone plays it back to you. Uh, and Bunbury was just, I think, alertly put it in the back of the net because you know he could easily have just held the ball. You know, said, "Yeah, I'm clearly offsides." But instead, he put it in the back of the net, and that's, I think, literally the difference of why they get the goal or not. Yeah, it's just, what did you guys think of uh, Brad Friedel's reaction to it with the, the shrug there? Because it seemed like he, he was even uh, shocked by what happened on that. Yeah, he, he mentioned the same thing in the press conference where he, he said, you know, he, he initially thought it was, you know, uh, you know the, the correct call. I think everyone in the stadium thought it was the correct call initially. Um, but then obviously when they went to VAR, obviously Friedel and the Reds are not going to complain about that. Uh, the funny thing is after the, after the game, uh, Diego was so sure, so sure that it was, 
that it was a, that it was a legitimate goal. Um, which was funny because he was the I think he was the only player that uh, player or coach or member of the Revs roster that actually spoke with like complete confidence that <laughs> that he didn't even touch the ball. Um, you know, Fido, like like you had mentioned, uh, was kind of surprised that it actually got uh, called that it was actually called a goal. Um, Teal was actually kind of you know he really really wasn't sure he wasn't sure why they were looking at it, um, but apparently Diego told. Uh, Teal right after the play is like, no, that's a legitimate goal because I didn't touch the ball. So apparently the only person who was sure that it was a goal after it happened was Diego Fagundes. And, you know, it turned out he was right. And, um, you know, the Revs get, uh, get a serious break in a, in a really big game against Sporting Kansas City. I guess it's uh, the the one to know for sure that it was, you know, Espinosa touched it is the one that uh, got dispossessed. I guess that's the easiest way to know. Uh, when you know you didn't touch it because someone took it away from you, I thought Diego was a little bit out of position and on his run there, and and kind of got fortunate that Espinosa put it behind the defense uh, instead of cleared it or you know just you know blocked it in general. Yeah, it was quite quite the interesting way to to win a game, and the timing of that goal certainly right before halftime helped out the Revolution. But they did a good job in the second half of. You know, holding on and keeping Kansas City from from getting too many chances, um, I, I still don't know what to think of that goal. My my initial reaction was, you know, look cl- clearly offside, and then uh, to to see all those replays and and finally get the idea that it looked like it was Espinosa that hit it rather than Fagundes. Uh, it's just a, an interesting change to the to the way we've seen the game play over the years to to see a call like that be made and a, you know it's a game decided on a on a goal like that. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, I think it was the right call based on the the recent interpretations of the offside rules. Um, it was you know interesting to see how it was determined, uh, but you know, set Kansas City up for an interesting second half in which they weren't really able to break down the revolution to, to find the chances they need. Uh, so with that, Brian, I'm curious what your takeaways were from this game. I think the biggest takeaway is the fact that, you know, uh, is this the same Revs team that basically did not get, really is not didn't get any calls last year when it came to VAR? Um, you know, the Revs have been doing a really good job keeping track of how VAR has gone uh, when uh, when when they uh, when when it affects their games, and I think the stat was that it went against them six out of seven times last year, which is crazy. Um, so it seems like this year, I mean, not just with VAR, but I feel like a lot of the breaks early this year are really going the Revs' way, um, you know. And I think uh, Teal's Teal's goal from last night was just a, another indication of that. Um, and if you look back to the to their first uh, to from from the early part of the season to, till now. Take away the Philadelphia game, and you see that you know the Houston game. They get um, you know they, there's a red card against uh, Houston. Um, if you look at you know, obviously the Montreal game, there's a red card that goes against Montreal, um, and it just seems like a lot of the breaks, a lot of the breaks are going the Revs' way this year. And um, obviously it's helping them. And if you're going to get the breaks, uh, you know now's the time to do it because they have a really a home. They they really have a, a friendly schedule. Uh, you know, uh, really uh, with a lot of home games. And uh, you know, I just think it's—I just think it's remarkable. This is the same Revs team that kept getting snake bitten by bad calls, by VAR, by basically a lot—a lot of things that seemed to conspire against them last year, um, which only made you know really a bad season even worse. Um, but it's—it's it's just interesting to me that you know, in a game where it's as close as it is against you know the top team in the West, and uh, you know the different—the difference is the fact that the difference is a Teal Bunbury goal that you know initially. <laughs> did not look like a goal. So it just seems like uh, a lot of things are lining up for the revs. Um, and, you know, maybe call it karma, call it whatever, but it, you know, they're certainly getting the breaks early in this year. And I think um, the fact that they were able to get that break and have that break break be such a crucial 
a crucial you know turning point for that went in their favor is kind of surprising to see, um, given given all the kind of stuff that happened to them last year. It's kind of interesting when you talk about you know how the VAR was against them last year, uh, and it's worked for them this year. It's almost um, you know you take a step back though, and it's kind of you make your own luck. You make the, the breaks that you get because you do look at you know the VAR last year. Namath comes to mind. Uh, the Atlanta game, a couple of the red cards. I think the majority of the calls were pretty clear. Uh, maybe one or two are pretty, you know, maybe controversial, but pretty clear. Um, and then the break they got last night on Bunbury's goal, um, and I meant to mention this earlier too because I rewatched it this morning. Uh, Agadello did great work to he was tracking back and caused the turnover just over the halfway point and made the run. Uh, so you know, in that sense, they kind of created the, the the luck that they got. Um, so, you know, Bunbury in the right spot at the right time, but uh, I do think Agudelo uh, should get a little bit of love just for creating the opportunity to begin with. Yeah, and I think Agudelo has been you know, really good these past two games. Now that he's put back into the starting lineup and playing out there on the right um, with, with Scott Caldwell moved to the bench. Uh, I think he deserves a lot of credit for his play these, these past two games and, and helping to, to add to an offense that you know, struggled a lot a couple weeks ago against Dallas. Um, so, you know, he's been a guy that's, that's needed to have good performances during more playing time. And I think he's done that. Uh, but that's a, you know, a good, a good shout out to the performance from Aguadelo and, uh, Casado too, when we're talking about, you know, that change has, has, has been huge. Um, but, but I agree, you make your own luck in situations like this. They were complaining a lot about VAR last year. Um, you know, there were a lot of red cards that went against them because of VAR last year. Uh, in my mind, the, the vast majority of those were deserved with, you know, like Ryan said, maybe, Maybe one of them being a bit controversial, but uh, you can complain about it all day. But when they're getting the calls right, uh, you can only complain so much. Um, but you know, it's, it's been a different story this year. The, the red cards, whether from VAR or not, have, have gone on the rose fair for the most part, other than the season opener. Um, and and certainly this call uh, was it was a huge one for them. Um, but you know, just one play can decide a game, and, and VAR in this one decided the game in favor of the Revs with with how this game played out um, and, and the lack of chances overall. Uh, Ryan, what was your takeaway from this one? Uh, just one final quick point about that is it seemed like last year and maybe the season before that too, uh, a lot of uh, blaming the refs out of the revolution. Uh, that does not seem to be the case this year. Obviously, it helps when you're getting calls for you, but again, it's more of make the calls go your way instead of letting the calls go against you. Uh, that's just you know maybe a change of what it may be, but seems that seems to be the attitude more this year anyways. Uh, my biggest takeaway uh, I'm looking at the midfield, and you know, I watched uh, from the, the stands on Saturday, and I, I just felt like Fagundes was a little bit lost in that that number ten role. Uh, he's he's such a talented player, and I just think he's been he's better suited for a wing. And I know there's not many spots with Pania and, and Agadello, and you know, you got Rowe coming back in the mix, who's probably more central. Anyways, I, he just seemed like a lot of running around. It just seemed like. He was chasing. He had a couple of series with Pania, and it was almost the same play twice. Um, he just made a darting run into the box, and Pania was going to lay it off to him where he had some space atop the area. Um, he had a, a good run in that late in the second half, about halfway through maybe, and he um, got into the area and just kind of dinked the ball to the back post. It didn't seem like there was much purpose to it. Um, he's just too talented, I think, to be running around chasing, and it just doesn't seem to be clicking. Um and he's too talented, like I said, just to be in that situation where your weight, your I think you know, Sean, you mentioned it, you know, before we started recording. I think he had the least touches of all starters. Um, that uh, to me, he needs to just be more involved in that attack. 
uh, even if your your strengths are going through the wings, I think he needs to be able to check in, kind of a Caldwell type, and even change fields if he needs to be. But for me, that was just uh, to me, he just looked a little bit lost uh, in the rotation last night. Yeah, and, and just to add to that, he only had 42 touches. Um, albeit he was subbed off with, with eight minutes ago, but that was the least of any Revolution starter. Uh, additionally, only attempted 29 passes, which was second least of, of any Revolution. Well, third least if you include Aguadelo, who was subbed out even earlier, uh, of any Revolution starter, with only uh, Gabriel Somi with, with 27 with less. Um, so for your number 10, certainly you want to see him more involved, um, especially in a game that up until halftime was tied, so you'd expect him to see more of the ball. But there's a lot of bypassing of the midfield by, by Kansas City in this game uh, and the Revolution force out of them. Um, and I think to some extent there was a little bit of, of bypassing of the midfield by the Revolution with some, some more long balls in this one. Um, so, you know, I, I agree with you that it was not Faguna's best game. We've seen him have games where he's been very influential. Uh, this wasn't one of them, but it, you know, also good that the Revolution found a way to win despite that. Yeah, I think I think that's really the, the, the biggest key is that they found a way to win. Um, you know, all too many times in the last couple of years, it almost seemed like they, they found ways to lose. Um, and, you know, kind of going back to the whole, like, you know, red cards, like VAR, you're right. I, I think uh, Ryan made a great point. You know, you kind of make your own luck. Like, those those a lot of those calls from last year, they, they were correct. They were correct. Um, and, you know, and they were justified. So um, I think you're seeing a lot of, a lot of a lot more accountability this year. I think you see guys who are stepping up um, when being challenged. I know that one of the talking points uh, in the locker room uh, last night was just the fact that that these guys really do the two days and how much it improves their conditioning and, uh, and the conditioning needed to do to 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 employ the high press. And I just think that there's a lot more accountability on this team. And I think with accountability brings brings out um, you know sharper performances. Um, from guys like Teal Bonberry, from guys like Luis Casado, and guys like you know um, Christian Pena, and the, those new guys—they're kind of bringing in that new culture. And I think, um, and I think the early indications are that that it's working. What what Brad Friedel ha- is doing is working. And when you're able to get you know not a one nothing win against the best team in the West, whether it's at home or away, in a season which nobody predicted the Revs to you know have a shot at the playoffs, I think is impressive. I think it's. You know, I think maybe it's too early to say it, but I think it is kind of a little bit of a statement game. I think it is kind of a, a game in which they were able to get three points against, you know, arguably the best team that they faced all season, and to be able to do it by, you know, one nothing and shut them out, I think was, uh, uh, I think spoke uh, spoke a lot to how much progress has been made under Fiedel early this year. Yeah, it's it's interesting too because the lineup kind of is settled almost where I think, you know, I think this is basically uh, as close to what we're going to see consistently throughout. Um, one point that I think a couple weeks ago when I was last on, I, my biggest takeaway is I just wanted some consistency, especially in the center back pairing. Uh, and he's kept it. He's gone with Anibab and Dielna, um throughout since that point, and, and it's worked. Um, they've been, they've worked really well together. Uh, and that was, you know, I, I still think Dielma is a, a very talented player and can give you a lot of stuff there. But the the biggest thing I wanted to do was, you know, wanted was consistency out of that pair. And that's what we've gotten so far. And I think you're starting to see that now with Zahibo and Consado in the middle. Um, those two are forming the partnership. I, you know, I don't think Caldwell did anything to be taken out of the lineup. I still think you can insert him and things are going to go really well. I think he's able to change field really well. I think he's able to work out of the back really well. Um, but the, the pairing they have right now is working. They're linking together. 
And then uh, just on top of that, I think Pania is, is really a, a, a very, very good player. And I think the Revs would benefit from playing through him as much as possible, whether he's on the left or whether he's on the right. I think he is the key. And if they can kind of just find some, some – if they can get in sync with him on the outside and serving in, like I said, forget him, we're just a little bit off if that gets fixed. Uh, or if you get someone in the back post to you know get on top of his crosses, he didn't have too many crosses it seemed uh, last night. But if it just gets there, it seems like this this eleven. I could be wrong, but I I think this eleven that we saw um, you know last night. I I think that's basically it, unless you can somehow find a spot for Row. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, the consistency is certainly something that's been beneficial to this team. Um, and you you kind of touched on what my takeaway was from this game, which is. The pairing of Casido and Zahibo and, and how well they played in this in this one. To me, this was by far the best performance out of those two players. Uh, I thought Casado was all over the place and did a really good job. Uh, finished the game with with seventy nine point three percent passing, which is you know you you want your guys playing that role to ha- to be up there and, and, and maintaining possession. Um, I believe he was actually second or th- actually third on the team in, in passing percentage. A pretty solid job from him there. Uh, Zahibo again, we've talked about this before. Not the best. Uh, at maintaining possession passing-wise, he was only at 65.7%. But otherwise, you know, he had a really big game. Uh, Zebo had three tackles, one interception, three clearances. Uh, Casado had two tackles, two interceptions, three clearances, and a blocked shot. Um, and the, the two of them just overall, I thought, played really well together. Um, and I also agree that, that Dielma and Annie Baba as a center back pairing had one of their better games um, after you know, some shaky moments the past few weeks. So that, that was... You know, good to see from the Revolution to have some consistency there and, and playing really well. Um, the the only other point I wanted to make uh, on this game was was looking at Gabriel Somi, who we you know called out a bit last week. Um, he finished the game with fifty five point six percent passing, which was worst on the team, um, a six point six rating from from who scored, which was second worst of any Revolution starter. Um, you know, eyeballing the game, I didn't think he had that bad of a performance as far defensively as far as getting beat beat one-on-one, didn't have as many of the issues as we've seen in recent games, but uh, again, and you look at this defense, we talk about, you know, bypassing the midfield to some extent, um, you know, there were a lot of long balls from the defense, uh, Claude Dielma had 13, Annie Baba had 15, Andrew Farrell had 6, so, you know, when you're looking at passing percentages, that can have some impact there. Somi only had three, so for him to have the lowest passing percentage at 55.6%, you can't write that off as, you know, a lot of long balls and a lot of, you know, trying to force the ball forward. Um, you really want to get more out of your fullback and, and a better job of keeping possession than that. Uh, so I think that's a bit disappointing from, from Somi. He also recorded an unsuccessful touch in this one. Um, you know, again, eyeball test, I didn't think he was necessarily had as bad of a game as we've seen recently, but uh, I, I think he's still, that's still a position where the Revolution need to get more out of. Yeah, I was, uh, I, the first half, especially, he was kind of right in front of where I was sitting, and so I saw a lot of what he was of doing, and, and it kind of seemed like, at times, the Revs were almost playing three in the back, uh, just the way they pushed him up on the left wing. Uh, Dielno was so far over at times, it seemed like he was kind of taking a lot of the responsibility of the ball over the top uh, instead of Somi. Uh, so that kind of plays into it in terms of where his defensive positioning is. Um, but I'd like to see a little bit more out of him in terms of services. I think, and maybe we've just seen a ton of it the last you know decade with Chris Tierney uh, and his ability to find a service from the left side. Um, but it just doesn't seem like there's a ton of combination between him and Pania. Uh, and I and maybe I think you know I'd like to see that run go forward. Uh, I know he had one 
you know, one run with the ball at his feet, and he, and he went for a move, and he got, you know, completely the ball completely taken away from him. But uh, he's got some skill, especially going forward. I'd like to see a little bit more of it, uh, especially term, in terms of service. Yeah, I think um, you're right. I think that's the one thing that really lacks. Um, aside, obviously, he's still he's still a work in progress on the one on one defending. Um, but I think that's one of the kind of disappointments that the other disappointment is the fact that he's not as good on the crosses. And you even see him taking the corner kicks, and there's definitely he's definitely not at the same level as as Chris Tierney. Not that many players are, but you're so used to having that, and you really have to wonder if you know if, if there's going to be if he's going to get better at that, or if there's going to be an opportunity for him to get better. Because you know what what is the trade off? I mean, you're replacing one player who's maybe you're replacing Somi with Tierney, and what are you what what are you benefiting more from? It's the fact that maybe maybe Somi's a little faster. But at the same time, he doesn't he doesn't cross right. He doesn't cross as well as Tierney. He doesn't you know serve a he doesn't serve a corner as well as Tierney. Certainly not as good on free kicks as 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 Tierney is. So it's kind of like it's almost like if you add it all up, it's almost like a like for like replacement. Which is obviously you're not that that spot hasn't improved with the addition of Somi so far. So um, like Sean said, I think I think he certainly passed the eyeball test. He didn't really look out of place last night. Um, but you really kind of. You're really kind of like wondering, okay, well, when are we going to get the Gabriel, the Gabriel Somi that um, that their front office brought in to, you know, to improve that spot? Because you, we're really not seeing any improvement um, performance-wise from that spot with with Somi in the lineup. Just one quick note, you, you reminded me. Um, do you guys miss the creativity on corner kicks? It seems like it's just kind of services now. Am I am I missing it? Is it? And it seemed like and I'll give heaps credit with this. He just seemed like he had a. A lot of options with short corners, and sometimes they didn't work. Don't get me wrong. Uh, just seems like the creativity is just a lot more just straight services now. Well, I think there was one plan where I think Faguna has played it short to Pania or something like that, if I recall correctly. But you know, my more, my bigger problem is that the the services themselves um, throughout the the course of the season have just been poor. Whether it's you know Somi or Faguna or whoever it's been, they haven't been good enough. Um, and the Revolution really haven't looked a threat to, to score on, on corner kicks this year. Um, so yeah, I agree that they, there's a lack of creativity generally, um, but just the service hasn't been there from, from even normal corner kicks, um, which I guess adds to the point of, of maybe you want to see more cre- creativity there. Uh, you know, Brian, would you agree that the, the service has been too poor for, for corners? Yeah, I would agree with that. I just don't think that, um, I, I think so, so many doesn't deliver a bat, like a terrible ball, but you know, you really kind of like, if you're going to replace your best corner kick player, uh, your best player on corners and in set pieces, like you better have somebody who's somewhat close, if not comparable to, to that replacement. I don't think they, they have that. I think that Fagunis has taken a few corners this year and it's been, it's been maybe I would actually say that Fagunis has been slightly better than Somi on his, on his corners. So I still think that there's no like one player, one or two players that is really ready to take that mantle. Now that Tierney's no longer, no longer started and obviously really not really seeing much of the field at all this year. Um, so I think that's certainly one area of, of improvement. And I think, like Ryan was saying, I think one way to, to improve it is to, to to have a little more variation, to be a little more creative on those corners. Um, I think, I think uh, if I recall correctly, I think the corner, the short corner that you were talking about, Sean, was might have been the Montreal game where I think Diego played it short to Pinilla and then they crossed it in, um, which was, I think, led to a legitimate chance. Um, but I think, um, you know, if you're not going to get the same service, if you're not going to get consistent uh, service from those corners, um, then I think you do have to change it up a little bit. And I think, uh, you know, 
I think it might be worthwhile for the coaching staff to kind of look at it that way and say, hey, we're not really getting as much as uh, clearly we're not getting as much as we would have we would be getting from Christiani. So how how can we improve that? And I think the best way to do it is to add add that creativity um, because you know certainly it's not helping them at this point. Yeah, both Chris Tierney and Lee Wynn not being on the field gives them, and, and not that I think Lee Wynn was necessarily the the best corner kick taker in the world either, um, but not having either of those two options on corners and free kicks leaves the Revs in, a, in an interesting position. Um, and, and certainly we saw, we talked we talked a few weeks ago about Dielma on free kicks anyways, but um, I don't think he's he's an option to take corner kicks as, as your center back and as a guy you want to have in the box uh, trying to win those headers. Um, but yeah, I know the, the set piece service just just has been lacking. It's a, a great point from from Ryan, um, and, and and certainly in, in this game uh, as well. In the corner kicks, they just the quality just wasn't good enough. And the Revolution had eight corners in this game, so it's you know an opportunity to, to get something done. Um, one one other stat, and I've called this one out online, is that the the Revolution in every game this season have been absolutely absolutely crushed uh, in duels. And this one, they they lost out in the duels by by twenty three. Um, is is that something that either of you think is should be concerning at all? It's like opposite day, isn't it? Is didn't weren't they really good at duels when they won games last year? I, I feel like they were. I never actually went through and did the analysis to prove it. That was one of my one of my long term goals that never actually happened. Uh, but every game this season, they've been absolutely destroyed, and it doesn't seem to have mattered. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of like where those duels are taking place. I mean, if you're talking, I mean, obviously a duel a duel in your uh, in in your defensive third, winning those are more important than you know winning the duels like you know up near your own goal, but. Um, you know, I just think it's just a matter of, you know, how, where, where are those duels taking place? I guess if you want to dissect it even further, you know, are they losing battles, you know, in areas that, you know, aren't that critical? Or are they losing battles where they're getting burned uh, or where they're in a position to get burned? So, um, you know, I guess, uh, you know, at this point, you, obviously you want to be better at it. You don't you, you want to win the ball. You want to win those balls anyways. But, um, you know, it certainly didn't hurt them last night. Um you know, and uh, I guess if you ask Friedel if he'd rather win the, the duels battle or the score battle, I guess you take the score battle every, every day. But um, certainly, I think it's I think it is an interesting stat in the sense that you know there's still I still you know I think we we're all in agreement that there's still m- plenty of room for improvement. I mean the the early results have been encouraging, but there's I think kind of speaks to the fact that there's still lots of things, lots of improvements that can be made to this team, and that's obviously one area they can do it. Yeah, and, and with that, let's get to some of the uh, questions we got from our listeners this week. Ryan, do you want to take us through some of those? Yeah, so of course, if uh, you guys are listening, you want to ask us some questions that we will answer, you can hit us up on Twitter, at Revolution Recap, uh, and you can shoot us a question anytime during the week, and we'll, we'll send out reminders, too, uh, for you guys to send in some questions. We'll start off with um, you know kind of one for down the line. Uh, we're about, I think, close to a quarter of the way through the season now, so I guess it's it's sneaking up on us here. But um, you know, at Sethman31, a big fan of the show, wants to know: Will the Revs make the playoffs? And uh, if so, who do you think will finish below them? This is a difficult one. Still early on in the year, um, I think the Revolution's early play has been encouraging, as Brian was just saying. Um, with with that said, I think you look at the standings right now. Uh, Toronto FC at the bottom. Um, that's not going to last. There's you know plenty of reasons why they're there. They they haven't been playing their best eleven, uh, given the Champions League, and you know they've only played six games. So um, right away, Atlanta United, Toronto FC, New York City FC, and the New York Red Bulls, all of those teams to me look on paper as teams that will be finished ahead of the Revolution. So I have those as as, as one through four. Uh, Orlando City is off to a really great start. Um, they were a team that struck me as, you know, under Jason Christ, once you know, things get figured out, they would do well. 
Um, and I think there's still a lot of talent on that team, and I think they, you know, they, they benefited from you know, no longer relying on Kaká, who's you know, a great player, but they weren't able to counter him with all the injuries that he had. Um, and, and moving on from him has allowed them to kind of to change things up, and they've been doing really well. Um, I'd place them ahead of the Revolution. You know, there, there's five teams there, and then uh, I think there is certainly every chance that the Revolution finish sixth. I, I, I you know, I don't think that's uh, something to get too excited about the possibility of taking the last playoff spot. But I do think this is a team that you know is just as good, if, if not better, than every other team. You know, after those five I just talked about. Um, and with that said, I think Columbus is, is punching above their weight, and I, I am not that impressed with the roster that they have, um, and I think the performances that they, that they put on have been impressive, but I just think that that's a team that's due for a slide, and we've seen a bit of a slide from them um, recently. So uh, I do think the Revolution you know, are very capable of getting sixth. If I was to you know, rank things right now and, and project forward, I would have the Revolution in that sixth seed. Um, but Again, I think they're still a ways away from being in the conversation for one of the top teams in the East and for being an actual contender for for the Cup. Yeah, I would I would basically echo a lot of what you're saying, uh, Sean. As far as you know, who finishes above the Revs? I think Atlanta United, uh, New York City FC, uh, the Red Bulls. I think will will be above them, um, and obviously Toronto will obviously run at, round into form and they'll they'll get back to where where they belong once now that uh, Champions League is over. Um, but that said, I will say that if you had asked me this question last week. I still would have had the Revs outside the top six. Um, but after beating Sporting KC last night, I will say that I think that they are more deserving. I, I, I'm more convinced that they can make that sixth spot based on last night's game. Um, I do think that it probably goes, um, who do I have above them? I do think, uh, right now, I do think that my 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 dark horse is probably the fire. Um, I just think that there's, there's still an incomplete... I think that there are one or two roster moves away, which I think th- those roster moves will be made from being you know, in, the t- in that top six conversation. Um, I'm not really sure if Columbus Crew can, can stay in the top six. Um, I think it's kind of a little bit been misleading. Like you had said, uh, Sean, like, I'm not so sure that their roster can continue to, to, stay, above, to stay above the red line. Um, but I will say that the Revs, I do have the Revs at six right now. I, I see them making the playoffs based on last night's game, and I know that's a lot to invest just from one one game early in the season at home um, due to a fluke goal, if you want to call it. Um, but no, nevertheless, they found a way to win, and I think um, I think that they will get that. I think that they will get that sixth spot. And, um, you know, obviously, and I've said it every week on the show, is it, it's really going to be really interesting to see how that second half plays, second half of the season plays out because – it is a really tough schedule for the Revs, um, you know. So at least they're making, at least they're getting points where there are points to be had, where their points are easier to come by. And you do have to give them credit for that because they certainly didn't do that last year. Um, so I think that they are. I think my top six right now would probably be. I think the the six player, the six teams that get in, at, like from for me right now, are Atlanta United, New York City FC, um, New York Red Bulls, Toronto FC. I still say Chicago Fire and then the Revs. So that that would be my six right now. Yeah, I think it's going to be close. I think Revolution have a good chance of getting in that sixth spot. Look, they have the talent. Uh, I think they had the talent last year, too. To me, there's no reason this team shouldn't be a top six team in the Eastern Conference. Um, but, you know, they still have the summer to come. And we've seen what this team has done in the summer. So uh, maybe it'll be a reversal of, of trends this year, but we'll see. Uh, moving on to the next question, we have a question from Sandra Lawson. Uh, Sandra wants to know the status of Isaac Anking. Uh, Brian, I think you were at training recently, so I think you can provide the most uh, up-to-date answer on that one. Yeah, um, as far, uh, the question was asked to uh, 
was asked to what was posted for Friedel um, during training a couple weeks ago, and uh, you know he's basically stating that you know he's he's out indefinitely. Um, didn't really give much as far as details go. Uh, the club isn't giving much as far as details go, which is kind of interesting because obviously a lot of people are concerned about how he's doing. You know, as the uh, as the newest uh, homegrown signing, also very young. Um, so obviously there's some concern there. Um, from what I've heard, he went some he underwent some sort of surgery. Um, but, uh, that's, that's all I've heard. I can't really confirm whether or not that's true, but that's, that's kind of the talk, uh, among, among the writers. So, um, yeah, there's really no, they're not really saying much and we're not really getting much, uh, as far as what's, what's happening with, uh, with Isaac. But, um, you know, obviously whatever, whatever kind of, uh, ordeal he's going through or whatever, whatever kind of, uh, is whatever's keeping him out. Obviously you wish him, you wish him the best and that he can get back into, uh, get back into the group soon. Yeah, I definitely wish him the best. Obviously coming off, you know, signing a professional contract and to be derailed, uh, you know, in you know, preseason of your first year is, is tough. So hopefully, you know, all is well with Isaac um, sooner than later. Uh, moving on to our next question. We got a couple of these questions. Not surprised. Um, it's the Lee Win saga continues. Um, we have a couple different aspects. Well, you know, you know, someone said they spotted Lee on the field. Uh, Brian, you can kind of address probably what that was. Um, we want to know, you know, if the, you know, one fan asks if the, if the revs keep winning, does it matter that Lee's, you know, not in the 18? Is it, is it fine? You know, do we just go on as is? And, you know, someone else pointed out that, you know, and, you know, Haravu has been on the bench as the backup 10. He's, you know, noted that it's for goodness and Haravu as the two. But, uh, when Diego came out, it wasn't Zach that went in. Again, that could be more of a situational thing where they're up one nothing. Um, but we're here with the Lee Wynn saga. Um, so, Brian, why don't you start us off with, you know, if he was spot on the field, what it probably was, and, and then your take on, you know, everything else that is, is Lee Wynn. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think obviously there's been a lot of talk about whether or not, you know, Friedel's punishing Wynn. Um, and I'm on the mindset that he's really not. I think it's really just, uh, I think, A, like you had mentioned, um, and like we've discussed here, it's really the team's winning. The team is doing well without him, so... Um, obviously, would you would like to have him on the bench, but at the same time, um, you know, there's a certain there's a certain amount of uh, accountability that's really at place here, and I think that you know, um, having having Win kind of adjust his game to the high press and having and really kind of committing himself to that to that new system under Friedel, um, you know, every player has to do it, and I think that um, you know, if any if if what Friedel is saying is true, is that he needs that commitment from the players, it then. You have to read into that as being that Zachary Haribo is more committed to um, what Friedel's trying to implement than Lee Wynn, uh, for better or worse. And um, you know, fortunately, you know, for the fortunately for Friedel, you know, the team's winning. So the you know the scrutiny isn't as great as it would be if the team's record, you know, was one five and three or something. Um, so obviously, the fact that they're winning and the fact that they're you know in third place right now uh, is taken is kind of lessening lessening that scrutiny somewhat. Um, I didn't see him on the field yesterday uh, before the game. I didn't see him in the locker room afterward. Um, you know, obviously he's still part of the team. Um, you know, whether whether you know he's on the 18 or not, he's still part of the team. He's not being excluded from any kind of like any any kind of activities that somebody who doesn't make the 18 isn't going to be a part of. Um, you know, I know that the first team, I believe the first team scrimmaged the U19s today. Um, if my if my Instagram. Uh, if their Instagram posts are accurate, so um, I, I would think that he was probably a part of that group that got some some extended action uh, against the U19. So um, I think the fact that 
the fact that they did not put him on the A-team at Columbus last week, and they definitely, and obviously they didn't put him in the A-team versus Sporting Kansas City last night. Two, two, two tough, oppo- two tough uh, uh, matchups, I think, pretty much says that there's really not going to be any situation that calls for Lee Wynn to be on the A-team unless he makes some significant or some progress in training in terms of uh, you know, impressing Friedel on the training ground. Yeah, and the one thing I would add is, um, and I've had a couple of conversations with people on Twitter about the, the Lee Wynn situation and um, in particular about the bench situation. Um, and, you know, a few weeks ago you had a different story when uh, Scott Caldwell was in the starting 11. You didn't really have a guy, especially with Kellen Rowe out, who, you know, were something to happen to Zahibo or, you know, or, or Caldwell, um, you could directly swap in and, t- and take those roles. Yes, you could, you know, move around Caldwell and, and, and fix it that way, um, but you didn't have that. Now, in, in this game, um, and, and that was logic for why Haribu would be in over Lee Wen, and I, to me that's, that's still a little bit of a, a, you know, ignoring the controversy and ignoring, you know, the commitment and everything Brian just said, if, if everything like that hadn't happened, that would still be a bit of a stretch for me. Um, but you didn't even have that in this situation. When I let Scott Caldwell is, is on the bench with, with Aguadelo starting, you know, you have the guy that can step in for Zahibo, that can step in for, for Caicedo. Um, and, you know, so you really you are just looking for the guy that can step in for Fagundes, uh, where you need to change there. Um, and, you know, you still can't tell me that Zachary Hervu is the better guy to step in for Fagundes, even in uh, Brad Friedel's system than Lee Wynn is. So that, that to me, um, you know, in a vacuum, if that were the case, that, that doesn't really make sense to me. Um, but that also tells me, again, what we've been seeing all season long and, and you know, everything we've heard is I, I just don't see Lee Wynn ever making the 18 this season. Um, you know, we, we, we've had people say several times now that, you know, this is the week. If it doesn't happen this week, it's never going to happen. Um, and, you know, it, at this point, I just think it is never going to happen. So I don't think we're going to see Lee Wynn. And to the point, um, you know, as long as the Revolution do keep winning, I think there will be less scrutiny. But uh, at the end of the day, if the Revolution, you know, finish in sixth or they finish in fifth or just squeak into the playoffs um, and, you know, they haven't moved on from Lee Wynn and Lee Wynn's not playing and they haven't, you know, traded those assets, you know, you do have to wonder if, um, you know, yes, even if the Revolution made the playoffs, if you know, could they have been that little bit better if they had gotten rid of Lee Wynn and taken those assets and, and spent it on somebody else to improve the team elsewhere? Yeah, I, I think at this point it could just be a waiting game. I think it might be just a, a matter of time till the summer rolls around and, and someone doesn't get the transfer they needed and they're willing to spend a little bit more on Lee Wynn uh, because he's going to help the team. Let's just face facts. He's, he's a good player. He's good at what he does. Uh, he's going to help a team. It doesn't seem like it's going to be the Revs, um, but I think at the same time, the Revs are willing to uh, wait till the price is right. Yeah, and I think that was it for our listener questions. Um, so with that, before we got to the uh, Revolution the next time, I did want to touch briefly on the the other you know MLS news of the week, which was you know, we talked about in the past Toronto FC and their success in the CONCACAF Champions League. Um, they suffered a 2-1 loss. Uh, and the opening leg, and I think a lot of people wrote them off after losing 2-1 at home, um, knowing how difficult it is to play in Mexico and how many, much struggles the MLS teams have had there. Uh, but it was very impressive to see them go um, this past week into to Chivas de Guadalajara uh, and come away with a 2-1 victory, uh, only to end up losing the overall championship on penalty kicks um, and in heartbreaking fashion yet again as another MLS team came so close but you know, the, the drought of, of this version of the, the CONCACAF Champions League in which no MLS, uh, MLS team has ever won uh, the, the current version of the CONCACAF Champions League continues. Um, I don't know about you guys. I was excited to watch that game, but it was, it was, it was heartbreaking to, to see once again another MLS team come just short because I still have those dreams of, of seeing an MLS team in the, in the Club World Cup 
uh, someday. Uh, how far away do you think this league is from ever finally winning this thing? I'll say, you know, based on, you know, how, I, I think the teams that have made there and last, I think if you look at the Toronto FC team that made it, I think that they had the, obviously the closest shot, but they had the most deserved shot um, at getting at, at winning it. So I think we're getting close. I say we probably, you know, if I had to think about it, I would say probably it'll happen within five years. Um, you know, because they they really did came, they really did come close. I mean, obviously it was heartbreaking to see them lose on penalties, but the fact that they really <laughs> that they forced it to go to penalties was was pretty impressive. I mean, you know, you just have to wonder what if uh, what if they just played better at at, at Toronto in the first leg. Um, you know, they could have set themselves for just winning it outright without having to go to penalties. So, um, so that was encouraging. It was encouraging to see a team, to see an MLS team go down to Mexico and get a win and, you know, basically, you know, have, take it to penalties, which I don't think anyone, any, anyone thought that that game was going to go to penalties. Certainly not me. I'll definitely, I was one of those people who definitely has his hands raised for thinking that that game was over before it started. So, um, nonetheless, an exciting game, uh, uh, you know. Had Marky Delgado just finished at the far post, um, you know, in the 89th minute, maybe we'd be talking about this game differently. But, um, uh, but yeah, I, I don't think we're, I don't, I don't think the league is far away. I, I think that they'll, I think we'll see an MLS uh, team win the win the uh, tournament uh, within the next five years. Yeah, I think that's exactly the window. I was going to say within five years, and and two points here. You could argue that the Red Bulls uh, should have been on the final. Like, I think they had a good chance of of getting there. Uh, and then it would have been all MLS, and there you go. There's the winner. Um, and two, got to make your penalties. Man, the easiest way to win penalties is to score. Uh, I mean, you got to put it on frame. Simple as that. Uh, give yourself a chance. It's heartbreaking. Two, one off the bar and one uh, into Mars or the moon from Michael Bradley. Um, but, yeah, they give them all the credit in the world. I think everyone wrote them off after going down. And then not even just going down, but going down one nothing in that game on the road, and they were able to battle back, um, and maybe should have had a couple more chances, maybe a call or two where Giovinco gets uh, beat up pretty hard. Uh, should have gone their way, but um, yeah, I'm with Brian. I say within five years, these teams are MLS teams are just getting better and better, especially the top teams. Um, so I think you'll see it. These top teams are just going to get, like I said, within five years seems to be a good window. Yeah, if we can get teams like Atlanta United, New York City FC, and if Toronto can work their way back up the standings and, and make it into the Champions League next year, I think that's going to be really fun to watch. Uh, to me, Toronto was by far and away the, the best MLS team in this past year's edition um, and the best MLS team that we've ever seen in, in this tournament. So that was great. Um, but I think you have two other teams in Atlanta and New York City FC that we talked about earlier that um, I think could do you know, phenomenal things in the Champions League as well. So hopefully next year... They'll begin it. Toronto will find a way back and do it, um, and, and we'll have you know three or four really great, three or four or five really great MLS teams. Given how the, the Canadian qualifying works, um, and it next year, and that will be exciting to watch. Um, but with that, let's talk about the the Revolution's upcoming game and a, a bit of a preview for that one. The Revolution are traveling on the road uh, to face the Montreal Impact on Saturday, a, a 1 p.m. game in the afternoon. Montreal was was not a team that any of us mentioned as 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 thinking about finishing above the Revs in the standings this year. Um, they're just in eight games; they have two wins and six losses. They're sitting in ninth in the East, um, averaging just 0.75 points per game, a negative 11 goal differential, which is worse in the league right now. 
um, having conceded 21 goals, which is also worse than the league right now. Um, they're off to a rough start. They lost 4-1 to Atlanta this past week. Uh, we talked about the Revolution struggle on the road last year. Montreal was the one place they could get a win uh, when the year ended. Um, and, and this year they've been a bit better on the road. Uh, so let's, let's jump in. Do you see any changes to the Revolution's lineup in this one, uh, given what we've seen the past few games? And, and what's your score prediction? Uh, let's start with you, Ryan. I don't think you see any changes to the lineup. I don't know if there's a need to. Um, again, I'm not sold as Fagundes as the 10, but I think you got to give him a chance to um, at least work it out with everybody else. Um, I think, you, you know, the get in sync, you know, in terms of Casado and Zahibo behind him. And I just think if he can, if him and Pania can link up, uh, they're in good shape. So I think that they keep the same 11, and uh, I say they got to capitalize. If you want to get in the playoffs, going back to that playoff talk, if you want to get into the playoffs, this is the kind of game you need to win on the road. Um, Montreal's been giving up a bunch of goals, so I'll say 3-1 revs. Yeah, I don't, I don't foresee any changes to the, to the revs lineup. I think the only change, if, if they do make one change, I think that you might see, you might see Caldwell replace Agadello in the 11 um, just based on the matchup um, because that was the matchup that they went with uh, versus um, versus Marshall in the first game. I know that game finished with, the, with 10 guys, and obviously they went on, they routed him 4 nothing. But, um, you know, just playing devil's advocate, um, if they do make one change, I think that will be the change that's made. Um, no changes to the back line, obviously. Um, that said, I do think that it'll be a much stiffer test for the Revs, not just because of uh, the fact that, well, obviously we don't know, but if it stays 11 v 11, obviously um, it won't be a walk in the park for the Revs. Um, and this time around, you know, it looks like uh, Piotti will be in this game. And obviously Piotti is, has been one of those guys that have, have killed the Revs over the years. So I think he'll give them, I think he'll give the Revs back lines, certainly something to, uh, something, something that'll certainly challenge them this time around. Um, so I, so I will say that, you know, I don't think that the, that Montreal will win, but I think it will be a, Obviously, a much closer game than their first matchup. So I'll say uh, I'll say two one revs, um, and I'll say I'll actually say that I'll actually make goal predictions. I say that Figueres and Pena score those goals. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think we're going to see any changes in this one. I think with with the victory over Sporting Kansas City um, and the, the draw against Columbus before that, I think Friedel's pretty happy with how this line has been performing. So I think we'll see the same. Uh, the same lineup. I don't think Caldwell comes in for this one. Um, although if there was to be a change, I, I do agree that that would likely be it. But I think I think we'll see the same lineup in this one. Um, just looking at Montreal, you know, you talk about that four nothing loss that the Revolution had against them. With you know, obviously the red card helped. They followed that up with a three one loss to the Red Bulls, then a five three loss to LAFC, then a four one loss this past weekend to Atlanta. They've just been leaking goals. Um, I, I have to imagine their confidence is not very high right now. This past game in particular, they went up in a 13th-minute goal um, and were, were leading up until the 70th minute and then gave up four goals between the 70th minute and, and stoppage time. Um, so I, I can't imagine right now that Montreal's confidence is high. I think this is one of those games where if the Revolution can get an early goal, um, you know, they can just really bury Montreal on this one. Um, you know, it's MLS, anything can happen. Um, certainly road games are tough. I don't think this is going to be a walk in the park, like Brian said, but I, I, I do think that the Revolution come away uh, with a victory in this one. Um, I'm going to go with a, a 2 nothing Revolution victory. Um, and, and before we wrap things up today, uh, did anyone have any uh, shout-outs for this past week? I don't have a shout-out, but I just wanted to kind of make a quick point on, uh, on Saturday's game. Is it too early to call this game a trap game? Because it seems like this is the kind of game, you know, obviously the Revs are off to a, a good start. Obviously Montreal not so much, but is it is it too early to call this game a, a trap game? 
no, I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I don't think it's too too early to call it that. Um, and, and again, this is a Revolution team that last year was absolutely horrible on the road. Yes, they won in Montreal, but um, you can't get too confident yet after you know a couple of decent results on the road that you know that those woes are over. So if if the Revolution you know are on a high after beating Sporting Kansas City and going into this thinking it's the walk in the park, it's absolutely a trap game in my mind. I, I, I think that's a great point. And and for me, I did want to do one quick shout out just to uh, Boston City FC who played their their first game of the season a week earlier than they were supposed to this week because of the the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, they got crushed four nothing by the New York Cosmos. Uh, which we should we should note, as we mentioned last week, that uh, the Cosmos B team is essentially their A team this year. Uh, Danny Zatella was one of the goal scorers for them, and he's a guy that's you know, played on the U.S. national team, so stiff competition. Um, but I think actually the MPSL um, and the conference that Boston City FC is in is going to be a difficult one this year. Uh, but good to see their season get started off. Yeah, I'll just do one final quick shot. I mentioned I was in the stands for this one. Uh, I'll just do a quick shout-out to the Ton High Boys Varsity Soccer Program, the whole Ton High Boys uh, Soccer Program. Um, they helped raise money for the Dana-Farber Kick for Cancer initiative that they have. I think the Hero of the Match was another you know, part of the Dana-Farber situation. So those guys got to come with us, um, do a, a pregame on the field and, and a postgame meet and greet. So just a big thank you to them and to everyone that donates to uh, Dana-Farber and Kick for Cancer. I uh, hope they had a good time with the game uh, last night. And with that, we'll wrap up the show. Make sure you follow Brian O'Connell at Brian O'Connell 21. Yeah, make sure you follow Revolution Recap at Revolution Recap. Um, and you can follow Ryan Lanigan at, at, at R underscore Lanigan. And you can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. Uh, this was Revolution Recap. Thanks again to Brian and Ryan for joining us today. And thanks for all of our listeners uh, for joining us once again and for another week of Revolution Recap.